0: Assalamu salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surat Yusuf, the meaning, the read through, and the breakdown and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Quran here at Qadam Institute podcast. Uh, How's everybody? Alhamdulillah. It's good to see you. Uh, I just have one thought after traveling for a while that I think is the most uh, you know profound and deep thought that I could share with everybody without taking too much time. Uh, And that is, I want everyone to thank Allah deeply for central air conditioning. (laughs) I think that you truly, you know, they say you don't know what you got until it's gone. And there is nothing like having working air conditioning uh, in a place that is hot and humid. So really say Alhamdulillah. Because i mean we're we're you know it's a hundred and something outside, and it's just different you know you, you travel different parts of the world, places that are uh, tourist destinations, everyone's visiting, everyone's going, and um, you do you realize that a little bit of inconvenience with regards to your comfort can make things difficult for your family, your friends, for elders, right they're not used to it, and so we uh, always thank Allah for the little things, and I think that's a good start for tonight's session. Inshallah, uh, it's good to be back. Alhamdulillah, it definitely feels like home. I'm happy to see that the building didn't burn down while I was gone. Uh, mashallah, the coffee shop, stuff staff holding it down. Uh, you know, Safi, Mashallah, holding it down. Sheikh Abdel you know, we're so we have so much talent here. Alhamdulillah, it's good to know that uh, if and when I die, everything will keep going. Inshallah, I always tell everybody that if I die. And in my grave, I'm told by the angels that, hey, your whole Roots thing stopped. I'm going to be really upset with everybody. (laughs) All right? And uh, I really need everyone to keep coming, inshallah, after I pass away, inshallah. Okay? All right. So, Bismillah. Are we here? We are here. Okay, if if it's too crowded in here, we're going to open up the multi-purpose hall uh, just to make it a little bit easier. We have the audio and the video in there, inshallah. So if you want to sit comfortably instead of standing, please feel free, inshallah, as well. Um... And let's get started. Okay, where were we? Let's take a few minutes to talk about where were we. I know it's been a couple of sessions. Sheikh Abdel Nasser did the session on uh, Dhul Hijjah. Uh, Mubarak to everybody, by the way. I prayed Eid at 6, like, 09 a.m. I'm never going to complain about the 8 a.m. Eid anymore. Uh, we prayed Fajr, and then we just stayed at the Masjid for Eid. When I say we, I mean me and, like, 317 Turkish men, because... My wife and kids could not wake up for uh, Eid Salah at 6 o'clock. They prayed Fajr in the hotel and then just went back to sleep. But um, I hope everyone had a nice Eid, inshallah. Then we had our break for the 4th of July and that holiday, the Eid break. Uh, And then we came back, and last week we had uh, Mufti Noman and uh, Imam Safi have a session on, uh, I believe, Shulat al-Asr, which is a really, really beautiful uh, reflection in and of itself. But we were talking about Surah Yusuf, the 12th chapter of the Qur'an, and we were just getting to the good part before I had to leave. So where, where do we end off? What were some of the things that led up to this point? Who wants to share? What do you guys remember? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be exact. Welcome back from Hajj. Everybody who went to Hajj, mashallah. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay, so we're reaching to the point now where Yusuf's brothers are recognizing him. He's, he, his plan is coming to fruition his plan of bringing you know about this recognition this justice is coming to fruition and what were some of the lessons that we, we took from that anybody we can share those as well well what else is happening right now Yusuf's brothers are coming to recognize him who else remembers what's going on someone's getting your croissants ready someone <laughs> anyone else 3 weeks Okay, how about I jogger my ma- yeah, Nabil. Uh one of the brothers uh, of the brothers was under tremendous guilt and was willing to uh stay and suffer the punishment until the point to which he would inevitably die. Yeah, yeah, very good. So there there was a uh, there was a civic punishment that was given uh and basically in in summary, the brothers that came and that had to leave their youngest brother behind because of the accusation of theft. He was so he was so devastated because this wasn't the first. Now this would be the second time that they had lost the trust and the confidence of their father. And even though he had all this jealousy in his heart for Yusuf and for Benjamin, basically these two beloved brothers of their of their uh, their stepbrothers, the, the the children of their father from the other wife, he now had reached his threshold where he felt like this was enough, and he. Basically, his guilt had overcome him. And this was a huge lesson that we took, which was, and we're going to talk about this today a little bit, everything that a person carries with them doesn't just go away, right? Particularly if a person doesn't engage in repentance or toba, it definitely does not go away. There were some companions that even talked about, because they had done something before in their past and they haven't made toba for it, that they attributed some of the difficulties in their life to the fact that they hadn't made repentance or tell before those certain sins that they had done. Isn't that interesting? So, there are some sins that we know that from week to week when we pray Jumu'ah, from the different prayers that we pray, the Sunan, right? All of these different little perks of following and worshipping Allah, that those sins are erased. But there are some sins that require a specific type of repentance. And those are typically considered like the major sins, right? Now, leaving your brother in a well for dead, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it sounds like a major sin, okay? And so he, this sin that they had carried, there was a void in repentance. And eventually it built up, built up, built up to the point where now he feels to himself like this is it. And he was willing now to take on the consequence of his actions. So don't just expect in life the mistakes that you made, especially if they are against somebody else, to just disappear, Right? Don't just think that you can go and see that person and, and you know everything should be normal. No, that's not how these things work, right? If you've wronged somebody, if you've if you've hurt somebody, if you've taken somebody's right away from them, that what what is what is waiting for you is Allah's forgiveness. But the steps there are the forgiveness of that person. That's what's required. As long as you try, try to seek that forgiveness. Okay. All right. Let's move forward a little bit, inshallah. So backpedaling just so we can move forward, Yusuf sends his brothers back and they don't know who he is at this point. He sends them back because why? Because their youngest brother, Binyamin, has been accused, there was a Yusuf coordinated and orchestrated a plot in order to eventually reunite his entire family, that he had put some of the belongings of the kingdom in the bag of Binyamin and Binyamin then had to stay. So he sends his brothers back. And his brothers basically have to go and they have to bring the entire family back and they have to prove now who they are and they have to try to establish their justice and get their brother back to return. So they go back to their father and they tell him, right? They tell him what happened and he responds, verse number 83, that your souls must have tempted you to do something evil. So I am left now with nothing but beautiful patience. It's a repeat of exactly what happened with Yusuf. I trust in Allah that he will return them all to me. Surely Allah Ta'ala is the all-knowing and the all-wise. Now, there's a point now where Ya'qub turns away. So he's showing a very strong front. I trust in Allah. And there are many times where when something happens to you in life, you have to begin by showing the strong front. Okay, so something really bad happens to you and before you have a chance to process it, what do you say? Alhamdulillah. Right? It's not that you've processed it that quickly. In fact, there's even a level of faith that is so beautiful that you're able to utter Alhamdulillah before you've processed. Because processing is like a cognitive exercise, but saying Alhamdulillah is a spiritual exercise. It's an element of trust. And where this happened before, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, when the Prophet goes in one night from Mecca to Jerusalem and leads the prophets in prayer and then ascends the heaven. And goes and visits all of the heaven and eventually visits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And comes back down and in the same night travels back from Jerusalem to Mecca. You guys remember the story? Called it Isra' wal Ma'raj. When this happens, he comes back to Mecca and he tells some of the leaders of Quraysh what had happened. He gives them the story, the truth of, of the matter. They start to, they, they just start laughing. They're like, this is hilarious that somebody could conceivably think that they could do this and that we would believe it. So what do they do? They take this story that is at that time unbelievable. Now for us, it's like well, that's entirely believable, right? You can, a person can ride on an airplane. It's easy for a person to get from Mecca to Jerusalem. It's very simple. It's probably just a couple hours, one hour flight conceivably. But I want you to imagine a time when none of this transportation was invented and it used to take people weeks and months to get anywhere, okay? So he's saying this all happened in one night. He comes back, they start to mock him. What do they do? They start to take this story, which is patently unbelievable, it's truly unbelievable, to all of the new Muslims and all of those that claim to be friendly and advocate for the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Why? Why would they do this? Why would they do this? Yeah, they're trying to push them outside of Islam. Come on guys, you're gonna believe in a religion that has a Prophet that told you that in one night he can go from Mecca to Jerusalem? Come on. And back? This is, this is outrageous. And some of the people, it did challenge them. It challenged their faith. Now, they made the mistake of going to Abu Bakr as siddiq Abu Bakr al-Siddiq went to the Prophet, or he went to the, uh, uh, the, the Quraysh went to Abu Bakr as siddiq And when they went to him, they said to him, can you believe what your friend is saying? Can you believe it? Come on, Abu Bakr. You're somebody that we know, that we respect. Come on. And Abu Bakr says what? If he said it, if what you're saying is what he said, because he had not yet had a chance to meet with the Prophet Sol-Sadim yet, he hadn't had a chance to corroborate stories. If he said it, then what he says? It's true. He's speaking spiritually before he has the cognitive ability to process everything. Not because the cognitive part would trip him up, it's not that he would hear about it and be like, I don't know if I believe. But it's because sometimes, you know how they say in English, trust your gut? And some of us have more of a gut to trust than others, but you know how they say trust your gut, right? What does that mean? It means what? That Allah has given you an intuitive sense. Some people like to call it intuition, some people like to call it, you know, their gut feeling, whatever. You know, their parents call it like, oh, the mother's intuition, father's intuition. This is a spiritual compass that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you. The closer you are to Allah, the more strong this compass is, the more accurate it is. The better decisions you make, right? The more distant you are from Allah in your actions, in your faith, in your speech, in your belief, the worse decisions you make because you've lost this compass. The orientation is no longer giving you true north, okay? So, all of this is to say that while this is happening, Yaqub's first response immediately is to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one of the litmus tests of faith. When something happens to you, whether it's good or whether it's bad, immediately remember Allah, immediately. See how quickly you can go from receiving news to remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because before you have a chance to get lost, right? And this happens with good news too. What happens when you find out good news? Hey, guess what, you got the job, you got a raise, you're getting married, you're having a kid, your offer got accepted on the house. What do you start doing? What do you start doing? This is a sad group. No good news ever? Yeah, you start celebrating. Thank you, right? And what do you do when you celebrate? Yeah, You're happy, green. okay, thank you. Let's keep just saying the same thing over there. yeah. You start what? You start calling people, okay. What do you do? Let's say you guys got a new job and it's more money that may Allah lot make it easy for people to find, inshallah, good work, and good employment. What happens, what do you start doing? You start? Yeah. Well, you say alhamdulillah. That's what, I, that's what we're trying to get to. <laughs> what happens if you don't say that? What do you start doing, guys? Okay, yeah, you're getting better. You're going out to restaurants. Where are we going, right? You start planning, right? Like, you start planning. So someone's like, you got a job. Here's your salary. You're like, oh my goodness. You start scrolling Tesla's website. <laughs> right? to get a Tessie for the bestie, right? <laughs> and then you start looking at houses. Man, my apartment doesn't look so good anymore. These cabinets have always bothered me. Yeah. You go to your closet. I have nothing to wear. You have everything to wear. <laughs> your phone starts looking raggedy. like, You know, like because, why? Good things happen, and you start moving on. But how can we move on before we thank thanked Allah? It's not appropriate. And when bad things happen, we start to, we start to spiral. We plummet. You start to come up with all of the speculative, right, hypotheticals. What's going to happen? What's this? What's that? Before you remember Allah. So the believer remembers Allah immediately, good or bad. They remember Allah immediately. And then once, because remembering Allah is like settling and strengthening your, your, your foundation. Now that your foundation is strong, all of these speculations will fall onto strong, firm ground. All of these plans will be anchored by gratitude to Allah. You won't be a person that's going to make bad decisions because you remembered Allah first. You won't be a person that completely loses hope because you remembered Allah. And look at what Ya'qub alayhi salam does. He becomes super strong. He says, I am left with nothing but patience. I trust that Allah will bring them back to me. Surely He is the all-knowing, all-wise. And then... He turns away from them. وقالى. And he says to himself now at this point, he says what? He says, my goodness. It's almost like he's whispering internally. He just says to himself, I am so heartbroken about who? About Yusuf. But he's already mentioned Allah, but now he's allowed to experience that pain, right? Because as a human, you're allowed to experience this. You're allowed to. The Prophet Wasallam he cried. Ya'qub Salam is crying. He's sad. And he's, he's worried about what the future of his children, what it holds. And then it says, his eyes turned white out of grief that he suppressed. This could mean a couple things. It could mean that he actually went temporarily blind. It could mean that his eyesight was affected but he wasn't fully blind. Or it could mean that he was just completely and totally Saddened by it, what? Allah knows best what exactly it meant. Either way, his eyes were affected. Now, what did the brothers do here? The brothers, they said, "Qalu." They said, "All of them, what? By Allah, you will not cease to remember Yusuf until you either become what? Hatta takunu haradan, ou takunu min al harikin." you're either going to drive yourself to like, like serious levels of sickness. You're going to become so upset and depressed that you're going to, you're going to eventually, you know, just lose all hope to live, or you're going to become someone who just destroys himself. You're going to either take, tear yourself down or completely end your life. This is what they're saying back to their father. What are some interesting points here? Number one, If Ya'qub is experiencing grief and sadness, you're allowed to experience grief and sadness. Set the foundation for Allah, but allow yourself to experience something. Too often, we're told, like, you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to be happy or to be sad. But actually in Islam, you're completely and totally allowed to experience happiness and sadness, but you cannot let your emotions run wild without remembering that Allah is the one in control. That's lesson number one. Number two is a lesson on behalf of the brothers. When a person feels guilty, they typically turn towards what kind of behavior? Defensiveness. And they start to say things that, are, that they're going to regret. Is this the right thing to say to someone who's grieving? Yes or no? How many of you? Raise your hand if this is what you would say to someone who's grieving the loss of his sons. Oh my goodness. You're going to be... You're too sad, Get, you know. how are they gonna say this to their father? But again, subhanAllah, when a person is guilty, and I see this even with my own children, man, I see this with kids, that they will say, forget kids, I see this with adults. People feel so guilty, they utter words that just a few moments later, when sense starts to come back to them, they regret saying those things. So lesson number one, when you feel the pressure of guilt or anxiety or sadness, or the situation, it's always best to be quiet. It's always best to be quiet. How many of you have ever written an email and then left it in your drafts? Or written a text message and then deleted it? Okay, how many of you have sent a message that you regretted immediately? Absolutely. We have a lot of liars out there. Listen, it happens. (laughs) It happens. How many of you, like growing up, you said something to, to an elder, your parents, somebody that you regretted? Why, you spoke too soon. Silence will almost never get you in trouble. Almost never. Speaking almost always gets you in trouble. Waiting for a bit before you formulate thoughts and say something can save you from a lot of grief and pain. And others too. Okay? This is a very important lesson in having empathy. Instead of them coming to the situation saying, My father, we're going to do our best. We're going to get him back. We're going to do our best." They were more focused on themselves and relieving themselves of their own guilt than they were focused on giving their father a sense of hope. Think about this. When you are engaging with somebody, are you more concerned about yourself or about them? It's a deep question. Every relationship has this question. When you're punishing your kids, are you more concerned about your anger Or correcting their behavior. It's interesting. A lot of times when parents punish their kids, they're actually not thinking about correcting their behavior. Because the punishment doesn't quite match what you want them to achieve. Parents will scream and shout and do other things that will get them arrested so I can't say it. Right? And then you ask the kid later, what did you learn from that experience? And they're like, I learned that I'm scared. I'm scared of my dad. I'm scared of my mom, right? But I've seen people, and this is something that Mufti Kamani said one time, I'll never forget it, before I became a parent, so if you don't have kids here, still listen. He told me, never punish your kids when you're angry, never. You can scare them, you can say, just wait. There was a meme that I thought was so funny, because it's true. As many memes are, where they were like half of half of fatherhood, is staring at your kid like this until they change their behavior. And subhanallah, it's so true. But it's better than saying or doing something that is not ultimately going to help you achieve your goal, which is making your kid behave better. So, are you satisfying yourself or them when you're sitting with a friend and you're trying to celebrate something they've accomplished or hold or? or help them through a situation, are you more focused on your own discomfort, or on them? Are they the focus of your time, right? So try to be more present when you're with people, otherwise you're gonna fall into this trap of telling somebody, what's wrong with you? Why do you feel this way? He feels this way because he doesn't know if he's ever gonna see his children again. His heart knows that he will, but his, his mind and his body, subhanAllah, just like any other human being, there's doubts, okay? So then what does he say? إِنَّمَا بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي إِلَى اللَّهِ He's basically saying to his kids, you won't get it. You won't get it. And this is also something for us to take. If you're looking for somebody to be able to understand your grief and your difficulty, identically to the way that you do, you're going to fall short every time no one is going to be able to, like a transparency, overlay emotionally with you. The only one that you should complain to without reservation is the one who can solve your problems, and that's Allah. If I complain to somebody wholeheartedly, vent everything out to them, and then look at them for complete solutions, they can't offer that to me. They can't give that to me. And a lot of times that's not even what people signed up for. And we become upset with them. But now that his son's put him in this situation, he says, I'm only going to complain to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about this. The Prophet sallallahu did the same thing. After Ta'if, what did he say? When he was harassed and beaten, and he was hit by people's stones that they were throwing at his face and his head, causing him to bleed so profusely. He says what? Allahumma ilayka ashkudu'a fakuwati wa khillata hilati wa hawani ala al-nas." Oh Allah, I'm only complaining to you. I'm only complaining to you about the, the, the pain and the weakness that I feel right now and the, 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 the level of status that people give to me and the little bit of aid and the little bit of, of honor that I have amongst these people. He's only complaining to Allah. The scales have tipped. In, in traditional times the prophets, the companions, they complained all night to Allah in Tahajjud and Qiyam and Dua. Then when they woke up and they saw their friends and they were meeting each other, they would share very briefly, hey, make Dua for me, please. Now, we complain all day to people in our lives. And then very briefly before we go to sleep, we're like, I remember that dude on Monday night, Imam Hagrid said... <laughs> To briefly, you know, to remember Allah. Oh, Allah just helped me fall asleep. Right? The, the proportions, the ratios are off. We need to deeply connect and complain to Allah. And then we can update our close friends about the situation. Don't deeply connect to your friends about something that they can't solve. And then update Allah about the situation. That's not how it works. So he says, I only complain to Allah. And he says that What? And I know from Allah that which you do not know. He says that this is one of those situations where you won't understand me, but Allah ta'ala will. So then He sends them back. Go, my sons, and search, right, for Yusuf and his brother. So He sends them back now, and He says, "Go and look for Yusuf and his brother." And He says, "Wala tayasu min rawhillah. He's now giving them this advice almost like to himself but he's giving it to them he says do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah because Allah what Allah Ta'ala those who lose hope in the mercy of Allah or those who do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah uh, uh, he says that the only ones who lose hope in the mercy of Allah are those who have no faith one of the signs that a person has a deep connection with Allah is that they're able to trust that there is a way out of the situation even if they don't know even if they're not aware how. They're able to trust the situation. This is one of those deep, deep points of spirituality. And this is why, and I'm guessing the average age in this room is somewhere in the late 20s, early 30s. This is why when I say points like this, people who are a little bit older in life will nod. So if I say, for example, like never lose hope in Allah, there's always a way out. You look around the room, and everybody in their 20s is like, Everybody in their 30s is a little bit more. Those who are in their 40s, still young. 50s, 60s, they're nodding and they're smiling. Because there are some things that only experiences in life can teach you. So when you tell a teenager, like, hey, don't worry about it. Allah will be there. The teenager's like, what? (laughs) The 20-year-old is like, I don't know. The 30-year-old is like, I guess. The 40-year-old is like, okay. And the 50 year old is like, every time. It's one of those things. And that's why their father is saying it to them. He's advising them. You know, too often we look at what elders say and we're like, oh, this is a very, very unique problem that we have. How many of you love technology? You guys love your phones and your cars and everything, right? Things are so nice. My wife yesterday said, what would we do without Amazon? <laughs> right? <laughs> And we laugh, but all of us are kind of like, what would we do without Amazon, you know? It's fine, a lot. We're so dependent. But you know what's crazy? And remember this. Everything you gain, you lose something to. One example is memory. You gain technology that helps you store information. What have you lost? The ability to memorize. That's why before you had a phone, when you had to remember your home number, you remember it even till today, right? Think about it. You remember exactly the numbers that you had to remember and memorize before you got a phone. The minute you got a phone, you don't even know who you, what your parents' numbers are anymore. Or your siblings, or your friends. If your phone dies, it's like you know, it's like one of those movies where the main character has amnesia. Who are you? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> can you plug in my phone so I can unlock it with my face and it can tell me who I am? <laughs> right. So everything you gain, remember, you what? You lose something you lose something so while we're young and we celebrate access and you know all these funny TikToks and videos about like solving parents problems by plugging in the HDMI cable there's a subculture amongst us of mocking elders for the inability to do things that we think are simple yeah you guys agree like come help me log into my email and there's like the TikTok about the son who wins son of the year because he helped his mom find her email whatever right and there's a subculture, there's sort of a, a, a little subtext of it being humorous. How dumb are these elders? They can't plug in an HDMI cable. Let's see you eat dinner that's not cereal, bro. <laughs> you know? Like Michelin star mac and cheese over here, right? Easy Mac. It's not going to... And then you're like, how were they able to do this? How can they make a meal in 30 minutes with no ingredients? How? Because every time you gain something, you lose something. It's okay, I'll just Doordash it. I'll just Grubhub it. Further distancing yourself away from the skills. So remember that. Whenever somebody gives you advice from a position of seniority, that they're elder to you, you're allowed to ignore it. But you're likely ignoring something that you don't know. And you're likely ignoring something that was learned through experience that you haven't gained yet. SubhanAllah. And I would be lying to you if I told you that this doesn't happen to me every day. I am not hungry right now because I have been eating my words since I woke up this morning. SubhanAllah. Opinions that I had, things that I thought were right, and then speaking to people that are older than me, coming back and saying, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, and they say, we know. Alright? It starts with your parents, then it's with your older friends, and then eventually you just need to shut down. right, So may Allah Ta'ala make us people who accept wisdom as it's offered to us. You know what's crazy is if you don't accept it, eventually people just stop offering it. May Allah Ta'ala make us able to receive wisdom. So he says to his children, go and look for them and do not despair in the mercy of Allah, for no one loses hope in Allah's mercy except for those who have no faith. It's funny because a lot of times people who are seen as like hopelessly optimistic, that they have hope in Allah, that they're always remembering his mercy, they're seen as like dogmatic, and like not rational and they're just not being realistic right? but it's interesting because Allah here says the person who loses hope in Allah is in fact the one that has the problem the one who is able to maintain hope in Allah is the one who has displayed their faith when they entered Yusuf's presence they pleaded to him and they said what? they said to him "O chief minister O Aziz wa وَأَهْلَنَا أَدْدُرُ Translates to difficulty has the, the best English word for this is lightly grazed us. It's not that, you know, مَسَّ doesn't mean to touch something with all of your hand, right? To slap something or to hit something. Masa means just, just to touch it. Okay? Why are they using this verb when they're talking about their difficulty? Why didn't they come into the chief minister and say Man, life sucks. The way they're saying it in English is, we have been touched with hardship. They have actually not been just touched with hardship. Their life is pretty tough. They're impoverished. Their brothers have gone missing. Their father potentially has gone blind. They're traveling back and forth in a season of famine. Does that sound like touched with hardship? Or does that sound like pretty difficult? They don't even have air conditioning. What do you guys think? Why would they use that verb? Why don't they say, man, life is... Don't you think they could also have convinced the, the, the minister of how bad their situation was if they used a more dramatic language? Would you ever use light language if you're trying to show someone how bad it is? So why would, you, why would they use this? Hmm? Anybody? Uh, That's a good... Okay, good guess. They truly don't feel the guilt of what they did? Maybe, perhaps... But they definitely feel the impact of it. They're seeing it around them. It could, always could always be worse? That's true, it could always be worse. What else, yeah, Amen? Their ego, they don't want to that. No, 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 no. Interesting, okay, their ego, perhaps, maybe they don't want to like humble themselves too much. Yeah, Is it like- sorry, brown hijab, sorry. sorry. Oh, um, Although I'm sure you'd look good in one too. Yeah, it's a- Interesting, so they don't know it's him yet, but in the two ayahs they will. So you're so close. Yes? Okay, dignity, less ego, very good. Who is their father still? Yaqub. Yeah. Yeah. What is he? What is his occupation? Prophet, okay? Occupation, prophet, okay? Nabi. No matter what, no matter how many mistakes you make, you're always going to learn something. And this is one of the, this is from the, the adab of speaking about Allah. You ready? Okay, is their life pretty difficult objectively, yes or no? Yeah, it is. Life can be pretty t- tough, right? But look at how they speak about Allah. Because you know what? Anything over infinity is still zero. Anything over infinity is zero. their level of gratitude is still so present because of the foundations that their father raised them with that the Muslim, the the person who submits to Allah, recognizes that anything that Allah has put in my path that is disliked by me or challenging to me will never measure up to the blessings he has given me. And so they said what? They said, We have been just lightly touched by difficulty. This is how we speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Prophet this is how Prophets speak about Allah. Sayyidina Ayyub alayhi salam, When he's talking about his diseases and his difficulties, is what? Allah has touched me with difficulty. And he is the most merciful of all the merciful. Again. Switch that over to our generation. What is the fad? What is the trend? Complaining a lot. Complaining. I'm trying not to tell too many stories about my kids. Not because of the guy who hates them, but because I don't want them to listen to the podcast later and hate me. But I will share with you one story. Okay, We were in Turkey, and for those of you who have been to Turkey or traveled at all, Uh, You know that traveling is one of the greatest forms of education. You see a lot. You see so much. And you see things that are different than what you're used to. And uh, one of the things about Turkey that's super frustrating is that there is ice cream at every 50 yards. And it's directly at the eye level of a seven-year-old. And it's like the most frustrating thing because you are up against a a corporate machine and apparatus for the love of your children, you're going up against whatever the ice cream company is called. So you get your kids ice cream and like within 30 minutes they're upset because they want more because they're, it's, be, it's like a billboard, they're constantly being exposed to it. Not to mention the guy who's slapping his metal stick, ice cream, right? <laughs> and he's trying to sell ice cream. And so you're always the bad guy, you're always the bad guy. And then on top of that, you know, they're placing the toys on the shops at eye level. So the kids are seeing this toy that's going to break the minute you pay for it. It's tough, man. It's tough. You know, at some point you just wanted to put a blindfold on your kids and just walk. And subhanAllah, we're walking one day and this day was actually particularly hot. So we had just gotten our kids some ice cream and we fed them lunch, ice cream, got water bottles, whatever. And just a few minutes later, you know, and they, kids also know how to play the, play the situation too. So they saw ice cream and the guy slaps it. He hits the bells above his head, right? And uh, he looks and he says, ice cream, ice cream. And my son looks up at me, right? And I just look back at him. I keep pushing the stroller. And right after the ice cream cellar, there was a mother and her two kids uh, taking discarded food out of a garbage bag. They weren't even begging. They were taking food that people had thrown, and they were peeling whatever pieces of meat they could off of bones, and they were scraping bread off of wrappers, and she was literally taking it, the mom, and she was putting it in her hand and putting it in her kid's mouth. And I'm, I see it, and then I notice that my son looks he's six now. He's able to really understand, you know, that that's not something that he's ever seen before. And just ten seconds after he was about to test me with another request for something else, he looks and he just gets quiet for the whole ride home. Fast forward to this morning. He didn't, he didn't say anything about it. I, we just both know that he saw it and I saw it. Fast forward to this morning and we're talking about his breakfast and feeding him, I'm giving him like toast and you know some food to eat, croissant, whatever. And he says, I don't want this. And I was really close to becoming that parent of, there are kids in the world that don't have this and screaming at him and letting him know that these croissants are good and this is good or whatever. And I looked at him and all I said, SubhanAllah, all I said was, Musa, do you remember we were walking in Turkey and we saw the mom feeding her children from the garbage? And he literally, it's like he unplugged. It's like he was, it's like he felt himself grow up in that very second. He said, yes, Baba. And I just looked down and he started eating his breakfast. There is something deeply humbling about recognizing that whatever difficulty you have, there's always somebody that has it worse. Always. Now the interesting thing is this, those who don't have much difficulty think that no one's been tested worse than them. Those that have more difficulty are more aware of this reality that in fact Allah has tested others more than them, or like them. So tests are kind of interesting, because what they do is they actually create a sense of empathy within a person. Like, frequent tests, this is why the Prophets were the most tested of people. The hadith says that. The Prophets of Allah were the most tested. Why? Because they had to be the most empathetic. They had to be the ones that could connect, that could realize. If you have a Prophet that's never been tested, then the minute that that Prophet or that person gets a splinter, they're like, this is the worst day of my life. But the, the, when a person who's been tested time and time again goes through a test, they say what? I'm built for this. And they immediately recognize all of their blessings that Allah has given them and they say Alhamdulillah. I, I'm still astounded by the fact that that mother wasn't even asking for help. People were giving but she wasn't asking. She was just probably happy that she found a bag that contained food in it. May Allah Ta'ala make us grateful, man. And so, when they speak about Allah, they said what? And He says that we have been touched with hardship and we have only brought a few coins that are worthless. But He says, please give us whatever supplies you hand be generous with us and be amongst those who are charitable because Allah Ta'ala rewards the charitable. This is another important point that we can all take and leave before we close up in a little bit inshallah. There is something called Divine Reciprocity Divine Reciprocity You know what this means? It's a really fancy way of saying Allah will give you what you give to others If you want something, the quickest way to get something from Allah is by being a practitioner of that thing to others. We learn this from many hadith. Irhamu sama. Be merciful to those on earth and the one in the heavens will be merciful to you. All right. So what did we learn? If you want mercy from Allah, be merciful to others. Allah says in the Quran, he says, What? Forgive people, overlook their flaws. Wouldn't you love that Allah forgive you? So we learn about this divine reciprocity. Whoever is not grateful to people will not be grateful to Allah. We learn about this constantly. So if a person wants to be treated charitably by Allah, they can't be stingy. They can't be stingy. Stingy people are restricting and strangling their own provision. Because Allah loves those who give. And what does Allah do to those who give? He gives them more. If a person gives, then they receive more. But a person, and again, this is all about thinking with your heart and not with your head. When a person thinks too much with their head and they do too much math, then they start saying what? You know what? This charity is going to put me back. I'm saving. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. This person is discounting the math of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? The Muslims... invented zero, right? We're good at math. This person is discounting the math of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're saying, okay, like, if I do this, I won't have enough. Man, who gave you anything to begin with? Who gave you anything to begin with? And we learn about this in two ways. Number one is numerically. Allah can give you more. Number two is barakah. Allah can put more blessing in whatever you have and make it stretch longer. Right, So maybe there's a situation where you have a lot and you're earning a lot. But maybe there's just so many bills and fines and things that you're forgetting about, late payments, whatever, that that paycheck that was a lot actually ends up being a little. So you're like celebrating the fact that you're, but now it's actually a lot less than you thought. Then there's times of your life when you weren't making a lot, you didn't have a lot, but there was so much barakah in whatever you had. Allah makes a little bit go a long way. Right? So whenever you're trying to figure out your own situation, realize that there is a divine reciprocity. If you want Allah to bestow upon you blessings, then you have to be a person that bestows those blessings upon other people. Right? Allah Ta'ala loves those who are charitable. Allah is generous with those who are generous. So they're calling upon the Aziz now, Yusuf, and they're saying, be generous because Allah loves those who are generous. Even people like them, Understood this math. Now Yusuf, he says, changes the subject completely. Imagine being caught off guard. Imagine coming, showing up and saying, hey, can you help us? And the person says, do you remember what you did to Yusuf? First time they've heard his name in decades. First time they've heard his name in years. But then Yusuf does something so amazing. And this is, again, the trait of a person that is incredible. What would you do if you were about to slam dunk on somebody? How many of you are petty? Raise your hand if you're petty. I like it. I like it, right? Allah forgive us. Shaitan likes it too. Who's, okay. What do you do if you're about to slam dunk on somebody, right? Yusuf is like, He's in the perfect position to just slam dunk on these guys. What does he do? What do you guys do? You pull out the phone. You're like, hold on. You're like, show me your face. (laughs) Caught in 4K. right. Tell me what you did. Right. You screenshot. You catch somebody. People take a lot of pride in this stuff. People take pride in winning the battle, winning the argument, and you know that having a end zone touchdown celebration, dancing on the grave of the person's dignity. What does Yusuf do? Yusuf has one phrase that he slips into this ayah that shows you how a Muslim handles the situation. You ready for this? He says what? Entum <laughs> Jahidun. He reminds them that what they did does not define them, but they did it in a time of ignorance. He's like extending the ladder out to them. Do you guys remember what you did to your brothers when you were ignorant? When you were ignorant? He could have said, you guys are the worst people ever. Right? Canceled. I'm not going to speak to you, no provisions, bring my dad back to me, me, my dad, my brother, we're going to live happy ever after, you guys get to go starve and die in the desert. And you know what, if he said that, all of us, petty people, would have been like, yes, favorite surah ever. (laughs) Because why? Petty people love seeing petty things, but prophets aren't petty, subhanAllah. Prophets aren't like us, man, they're role models. Right? They're role models. Allah Ta'ala, when He speaks about this in Surah Al-Hujarat, He speaks about the, the role of Prophets and people. And He says what? He says that if the Prophet, was, if the prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi specifically was supposed to follow you, لَعَنِتْتُمْ You would hate it. Because we need these role models to look up to, so we can become better. The reality is that people make decisions, petty decisions, angry decisions, and we regret them when we come to our better senses. So Yusuf alayhi salam is reminding us that just because someone did something wrong doesn't mean you ascribe that action to them for eternity. You look at their situation and you remind them. Maybe there is justice, but you also remind them that there's always a way out. إِذْ antum jahilun? And what do the brothers say? In shock. They say what? anta Yusuf, are you really Yusuf? And there's layers of tawqeed there. Qada, anta Yusuf, I am. Right? Amazing. And he says, and this is my brother. Kadmenna Allahu alayna, Subhanallah. Allah has been so kind to us after everything he's been through. Look at how the children of these of Ya'qub speak about Allah living the most difficult time, in famine, in the middle of the desert, impoverished, we've only been tested a little bit. Very light touch of tests. Been in prison for over a decade, separated from his father, has to live alone, accused of crime. Allah has been so good to us. It's it's, it's a mental framework. Gratitude is a complete disposition. And it requires very little knowledge and no real skill. To be grateful to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, yet many of us struggle with it. We're trying to accomplish great things academically, great things professionally, but why don't we work on being more grateful, and see what that does? Then he says, "What? wa yasbir, la ajral That verily, those who remind who remember Allah, that they have taqwa, they're mindful of Him and they're patient, then verily Allah will never ever waste the reward of those who do their best. If a person wants to be able to do their best by Allah, there's two steps. Number one, have taqwa, remember Him. Remember Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Patience is always preceded by remembering Allah. Patience is always preceded by remembering Allah. One of the reasons why we struggle with patience is because we're too focused on the situation and not about Allah. That's why we said earlier what? Say Alhamdulillah. You're in a difficult spot. Hasbi Allah. Alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah. You remember Allah in that moment. When you remember Allah, now you have been given the bearings and the perspective to move forward. And your moving forward will now produce patience. Because you trust that Allah Ta'ala will give you that. See, things lead to one another. A person can't achieve great patience if they don't remember Allah. How does patience come from Allah? Remembering Him? Because you remember that He's the one in control. You remember that you have been in situations before where you thought there was no way out. And Allah provided. You remember the stories of your friends and family that tell you that they had no solution for their problems and somehow Allah Ta'ala provided for them. So remembering Allah is going to inspire a person towards being patient and persevering and engaging with whatever difficulty they have with complete trust in Him. And so he says the reason that we've been able to do this is because we never forgot Allah in the journey. We never forgot about Him. In your journey of life, don't forget Allah. The moment you forget Allah, you lose everything. You lose every single thing, no matter how far a person is from Allah not praying, not doing this, not doing that, struggling, don't ever cut off your relationship with Allah. If a person can't pray five times a day, you know what shaitan comes and says? If you can't pray five times a day? He says, don't even pray once, you hypocrite. Don't even pray once. But you know what's crazy? Praying once is better than praying none, right? Is one better than zero? Is two better than one? Is three better than two? Yeah, of course. How do you think you get to five? You have to start with one. Don't worry about all the prayers you missed. Just, just pray the next one. Forget all the ones you missed. Just pray the next one. You're like, but someone told me I have to make them up. Come talk to me. Let's figure it out. There was a brother that came to me once, and he did the math. He's like, I have 40,000 rak'ah to make up. <laughs> and he said, he goes, and I don't even think I can get started. And I said, put away your calculator. He didn't even have like a small, he had like a TI-85. <laughs> that boy had a graph to show me how many salahs he had to make up. I said, just start on the next one. We'll figure it out, right? We'll figure it out, okay? Point being is, shaitan wants to make you lose hope. Allah never wants you to lose hope. Shaitan wants you to feel like you can never come back. Allah and his messengers want to remind you that truthfully you can always come back. All it takes is one step. And that's what this story shows us amongst other things. Does anyone have any questions? Maghrib's in about eight minutes, but I want to take any questions, inshallah. Any questions or reflections that you've had? You know, oftentimes people come to me after hard work and they're like, I wanted to share. I had this reflection and it's like beautiful. And I'm like, thank you for sharing. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I wish you would have shared in front of everybody. They're like, no. (laughs) So if you have a reflection that's good, please share it. This is a community of reflection, inshallah. Or questions. Yes. Yeah. But what if you're at a point where you're borrowing money? If you're borrowing money. Yeah. So to be charitable, can you be charitable if you're in a point where you're borrowing money? That's what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can be charitable with more than just money, or right? you can always be charitable with time and with resources. And there's many things a person can be charitable with. That's not necessarily dollars, OK? So if a person is uncomfortable, if they're taking a loan for something, whether it be school or whatever, they're borrowing for a situation, sure, they can avoid, maybe, just for their own comfort level, but don't ever think that charity starts and ends with money. Right? Many people have been charitable with their time, with their resources, giving people rides, making people meals. You know, One time the Prophet went to a companion who was making soup, he was making soup, right? And he walked up to the companion he said, how much soup are you making? He goes, you know, enough for me and my family. He said, فَأَكْثِرْ ma So just add water to it. And the companion was like, why? He goes, if you add water to it, you can give some to your neighbors. Right? You realize like when you're cooking food at home, right? For the brothers, when you're making yourself cereal, <laughs> all you have to do is just save some cereal for your neighbor. No, really, if you're making yourself spaghetti, if you're making yourself whatever, you just have to add a little bit more. And then you bring it to somebody, you've given them a plate of it, you share it with them, etc. or whatever. Right? The Prophet sallallahu said what? Enough for two is enough for three, and so forth. So, charity should never be contingent upon how much money we see in our bank account. The most generous people, oftentimes, it's not even money that they give. It's so much more than that. Right? We ask Allah how to make us amongst those. Okay? Anyone else? Good question. Yeah? Yeah. So, this is more general, but I think, like, when I read these surahs, right, I... Like, you look at, you know, Mm. And on one hand, right, obviously it's admirable. And on the other hand, so like when I read these, I can't help but think about the instances in which I'm making up the opposite. Yeah. Right? And I think like how do you I guess like like it's like oh man, how are you messed up, right? Mm. right. Late, right? <laughs> you, like, not that, but like how do you kind of reconcile like, those things? Yeah, good question. So you read these chapters, you read the hadith, and you get the perfect recipe for how you should have handled the situation, but you already failed. How do I do this? Okay? There's a couple things. Number one is that if the situation is salvageable, you should go back and try. The biggest impediment to that is ego. A person never wants to go back and apologize. They never want to say sorry. But I'll tell you what. There is nothing as liberating as becoming good with apologizing. There is nothing in life that makes you feel more free than saying, being able to say, I'm sorry. And really meaning it. Right? Not the fake sorry. So number one, if you can salvage, you should. Number two, if it's something where the case is closed, you can't salvage it, then there's a couple things you can do. Number one is at the very minimum, you have to recognize that it wasn't handled correctly. So you can tell the person that I'm sorry, I should have handled it differently. Next time I'll handle it differently, et cetera. Or if there is a way, you know, subtraction, addition. If there's a way that you can now produce something or do something differently to make it up to the person. So you know what, last week I failed. This week, I want to do better. Allow me to do this, right? And in that way now, you're, you're, you're using that opportunity as, an, as a now a new opportunity, which is a chance to improve. Omar one time was amazing. I love this statement. He said, he asked one of his friends, his companions, he said, Who's better, the person that never made mistakes ever in their life or the one that made mistakes and repented? The person looked back and they said, the, 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 quest, the questioned individual said, um, I mean they're both good obviously, repentance is beautiful, but never making a mistake is amazing. So he said, the person who never made a mistake is obviously better. Omar said, no. The person said, what do you mean? He said, it's easy in life if you never make mistakes, but do you know how difficult it is to come back and fix your mistakes? And he said, the person that has demonstrated the ability to fix their mistakes has demonstrated way more in their faith than the one who never made it in the first place. Now this isn't permission to mess up, right? You're like, I'm gonna skip prayer tonight, <laughs> pray it tomorrow, and I'm, I'm better off. No, this is talking about the nature of making mistakes as a human being and not losing hope and not thinking that, oh, because I made a mistake I'm not as good. No, Omar said a person who recognizes their mistake and their flaw And then climbs out of that hole is actually, in a weird way, better off than the person who never has, okay? So never ever let the failure of a prior situation deter you from trying to A, fix it or B, be better in the next time it comes around. One thing about life that I'll tell you is that whatever thing you failed at, Allah is so kind, He always lets you have another chance. And it may not be, you may not know when or where or who. Allah will always let you have another chance to show that you learned your lesson. You know what's worse than failing once? Failing twice. You can fail once, Allah will forgive. Don't fail twice. All right, do not fail twice. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us strength. Good question. Anyone else? One last question. Inshallah. Day? My day is great, man. How's your day? Alhamdulillah. Chilling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do we reflect, what's the best way to reflect these very extreme circumstances into our daily lives? Very good. So these prophets are being tested in ways that were not being tested. How do we reflect and bring that into our, our daily lives? First, what the scholars mention is they say that the reason why these tests are so grand is because the level of faith of the people is itself also grand. So you're not talking about like an average person. You're talking about a prophet of Allah. So their test is going to be commensurate with who they are and it's also preparing them for their eventual reality, right? Musa alayhi very famously goes through so much and Allah says about him, واسسنعتك nafsi." لِنَفْسِي I've been preparing you for myself. So the role of what they're going to do requires them to go through this, number one. Number two is that by comparison, relative to what they're going through, what we're going through is much less. And so as a human we look to what they're going through and we say that Allah Ta'ala was... Able and kind enough to save them from the situation they were in. Surely Allah Ta'ala can save me from my situation. Right? That's one of the reasons why when the Prophet is going through what he's going through, Allah sends him the story of Yusuf. To share with him, look, look at what Yusuf went through. What you're going through is bad, but look at what he went through. You haven't been in prison for 12 years. Right? So he gives him this sort of, this uh, glad tidings, this silver lining. That you know what? It'll be okay. So there's a couple lessons there. Number one is that you realize that whatever you're going through is Allah preparing you. Number two is that, that's a good sign. Number two is that you need to realize that you should never lose hope in your given situation as a result of being tested because those who came before you who were our teachers and leaders have been tested in greater ways. All right. Wallahu alam.